Welcome to the podcast series from the Decision-Making Voices from the Field Leadership Seminars at Harvard School of Public Health. You may also watch a video of this event at www.hsph.harvard.edu backslash translation. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Harvard School of Public Health's Decision-Making Voices from the Field series. My name is Michael Botta, a PhD candidate in Harvard's program in health policy. And today, I have the pleasure of introducing Professor David Homeli Mwakusa, currently a Brundtland Senior Leadership Fellow here at the Harvard School of Public Health. Professor Mwakusa comes to us with a diverse background of significant accomplishments, all of them befitting a leader. A medical doctor, he has completed fellowships in gastroenterology in both Scotland and the United States, and served as the Director of Administration and Hospital Services at Mumbili, the National Hospital of Tanzania. An academic, he serves as professor of medicine at Tanzania's Dar es Salaam University Medical School. A politician, he was recently elected to parliament and is now serving his third term, currently the chairman of the Parliamentary Standing Committee on Agriculture, Livestock, and Water. Previously, he served as minister for health and social welfare for five years, during which time he oversaw improvements in treatment of malaria, HIV AIDS, and tuberculosis, while also prioritizing child health and pioneering the Primary Health Services Program. It is our great honor to be joined by Dr. Marcusa this afternoon. Now, I will turn the session over to Dr. Wafai Fauzi. Dr. Fauzi. Good afternoon, and welcome to this uh, session of uh, Voices from the Field. And it's a great pleasure to welcome Professor Marcusa to the Harvard School of Public Health. Um, Voices from the Field, as uh, many of you know, um, are sessions that invite leaders who have been out there in the field making difficult decisions and asking them about their experience uh, and learning from those experiences. Um, we expect that many of our students uh, will follow in those footsteps and aspire to uh, lead leadership positions themselves uh, in academia, in public service, uh, national governments, international organizations, uh, or a variety of other uh, institutions. This will be uh, an interactive session, um, so please feel free to ask uh, and, and provide comments when the time comes. Um, on a personal note, I should start by saying that um, I was very fortunate uh, for the past 20 years to have um, been working and collaborating with many Tanzanian uh, colleagues uh, both the Ministry of Health uh, in Dar es Salaam, as well as a number of academic institutions. Uh, and I have learned from many of these colleagues uh, over these uh, years. Um, it's uh, a country that has also taught us many lessons, and uh, uh, we are delighted that the architect of uh, major improvements in public health um, in Tanzania over the recent past, uh, Professor Makusa, is uh, with us today. I'll start with a sort of general question to you, if I may, um, uh, Professor Mokusa. As we have heard from Mike, um, you have been a leader many times. Um, you graduated as a physician, became a district medical officer overseeing health services for several hundred thousand people in Shinyanga. Uh, you went on to become a professor, department chair, head of the largest hospital at Muhimbili, um, minister, Member of Parliament, uh, and now chairing the board of a, a new university. You must have accumulated many lessons um, in leadership uh, over these various positions, and we would appreciate if you could share with us some of those uh, right now. Thank you. May I start by thanking the organizers and for the opportunity for me to sit in this chair in Harvard. As you know, Harvard is a household name in academia. And I can see my CV going up just by sitting in this chair. I thank, for, I thank my colleagues at the Brundtland to be able to bring me over here. It's true, I've had some positions of leadership. My country is the home of 45 million people. I would say I'm one of the lucky ones to be able to hold positions like that. As you 
heard in the introduction, I was district medical officer in charge of about 300,000 people, health matters. And then I went for postgraduate post training. I became chair of um, my department of internal medicine and later director of our medical center, which incorporated the medical faculty. I held that position until I went into politics. And somewhere along the line, for five years, I was Minister for Health and Social Welfare. And as you remarked, I hold the chair of Agriculture, Livestock and Water in uh, the Parliament, but also I'm chair of the Council of one of our, actually our new Institute of Science and Technology at home. Previously, I was chair of the Council of another university called Mzumbe. So I have accumulated quite a bit of experience. And I would say that I have not been to any school which taught me how to lead. Whatever I have, I have learned by doing. And all of you are going to be leaders, whether you like it or not. I mean, you are going to be leaders. It Maybe a small institution, a large institution, but of course you always aspire to go higher. But whatever position you are going to be, you are going to lead people. So I've learned quite a bit. And I would say you should learn from others, from juniors, and for your, from your own mistakes to correct what uh, didn't work and see if you could do better. Now, some of the things I learned were <clears throat> that when you lead, you are leading people. You have put your targets and you want to reach there. And in decision making, try to involve them. It will be easier for you to move along together. You shouldn't be a boss. There are so many times a co-worker talks to another one, why are you doing this thing that way? And you say, because the boss told me. He's not part of it. It's just because you told him. Try to get them involved in the decision making. Of course, the last voice is yours, and the plans may be yours. But then uh, you should try to persuade people to see the way you want things to be, because ultimately, you are the one who is accountable and answerable. In, Another thing is that one has to put priorities. In my field as a medical person at home, where almost everything is constrained, priorities are important. But you find all the strategies are important. They are priorities. So you have to go to priorities within priorities. Now, you have to set targets and don't lose your focus. The targets have to be time-bound. You can't keep on walking all the time without reaching the target. In my class, I told them last week that my principle is to put targets, but they should be higher than what seems feasible. If I give an example, at home, we are so short-staffed in the health worker workforce. Actually. We are at 30% of what we need of the skilled workforce. We have very few dispensaries. Almost everything is few, few, few. So I came up with the primary health uh, development program uh, where I, I have very ambitious plans, targets. It is a 10-year program up to 2017 where I would like to see a dispensary in every village a health center, you know, among other things. And people came to uh, saying, you are always saying you, you don't have enough resources to, for, for the programs which we have. And now you are telling us that you want to reach there. But my principle is that when you put a target, put it a little higher than what seems to be feasible. If the level is four, for instance, I would put it at five. 
and I'll strive to get to five. Is f four maybe low <clears throat> enough that if you start implementing, <clears throat> you reach four without any problem. But if I put it at five and I get to 4.5, you'll think, you'll see that I have, have the implementation is actually better than if I put it at four when uh, you reach it without much problem and everybody comes and pats you on your back to congratulate you. So th this, those are other targets which I uh, try to, I mean, th this is my, my principle, my guiding principle. Another thing is that um, one has to be consistent in the decisions you make, uh, particularly the right ones, and do not try to impress people or go out of the line to please someone. As a Minister for Health, for instance, we have 116 paramedical schools where we train x-ray staff, you know, in the paramedical cadre, nurses, medical assistants, and so on and so forth. The vacancies to go into, uh, into that type of training is very competitive. We don't have many to go around. There are many young men and women who finish f f uh, our secondary schools and they would like to get into. So the first time I walked into my office, you get a phone call from a friend, a colleague, or even a fellow minister asking if you could take one of his or her relatives into the school. I mean, we, we have a program how to select. And what they're trying to do is to ask you to bend the rules so that you can please him. And I, I said, we, we, we have a program. It's, if he's suitable, they'll take him up. The moment you take him, word will go around, and everybody who is in trouble says, just go and tell him. Just go and tell him when things will be fine. But I was there for five years, and they knew that if you go to him, he, he's not helpful. He can't help you, you know. And another thing I would like to say is about leadership. Leadership is about change. There have been leaders before, you are the leader now, there are going to be leaders later. And what you're supposed to do is that you have to make some positive change in the institution or the people you are leading. Always I ask myself, and that's what I tell, say, I inaugurate a board under my ministry. I tell them, I give you three years, and at the end of the three years, you should be able to tell me what should we remember you for? What legacy? What footprints did you leave? Otherwise, this business as usual is long time gone. You know, because they were doing it that way and you, are, you do it that way. You have to be innovative when try to change things for the better. That is one of my principles. All the time, I ask myself, when I leave tomorrow, will they remember me? For what? So you try to strive to do things which may will make a positive change uh, in the institution which you're leading. Maybe some other things will come up when in the discussion. That's really Thank helpful. You. So you have had many changes, positive changes uh, as Minister of Health. <coughs> Your legacy is uh, obvious to uh, many people. Uh, you have managed to start this ambitious program of putting a dispensary in every village, and it's continuing after your tenure as minister. Uh, you increased, uh, managed somehow to convince um, the powers that be that the budget for health goes from 5% to 12.5%. Uh, and there has been significant improvements in actual health of women and children as a result of these programs. Um, so the question to you really, many of these changes um, are hard to do alone, uh, and are hard to do even just within the confines of the Ministry of Health. 
So how did you manage to, as a leader, get along uh, members of your team uh, and other ministries and other sectors that impinge on health to buy into your agenda so that you are able to achieve this? For members of my ministry, it was not very difficult. It's not, not, it was not very difficult because as a leader, you should know that you can't be in every place where things are being done because they are being done on, I mean, on your behalf. Tanzania is a large country. I told my students that it is twice as large as the state of California. And uh, there's no way you can be everywhere. So you have to, to deputize, get things done. But they say a good leader is someone who actually admits that he can't be everywhere, but he has a machinery you know, to, to, to know what is happening. So we used to, to meet, used to get reports, and the reports have to be in time. So that was not a, much of a problem in the ministry. And to delegate is important. This is something important because uh, if you have a regional medical officer, he's also a leader in that capacity. A good leader is someone who creates leaders, not followers. So if you trust him, you give him the skills, then later he's going to be a bigger leader than he was. That's the whole state of, of uh, delegating. But my contact with other ministries are either on one-to-one, -one, but also as a group in the cabinet. Because to have my agenda going, you have to make a case. You have to make a case. If you, as you remarked, when I went in as minister, the health was not quite a priority in terms of budgetary allocation. We were at about 5%. But you come up with ideas and you know, concretize them you know, together with your colleagues and try to move that agenda. And people get convinced in saying, I think this is a priority. So we managed to go up to about 10%. It went up to 12%. Now we are uh, about 10.4%. But it's healthier than it was before. So that is the general in the cabinet. But on a one-to-one -one, uh, basis, it's also important. Say, I need water in my hospital. I just go walk to my colleague, the water minister, and speak with him or her and see how far he can help. And a lot of them, again, it is making a case to make them see the way you see them and convince them. That's great. I'll open it up uh, in a second. <coughs> could, you could you elaborate a little bit on the machinery that you said you put in place? So there are um, more than 130 districts all over the country. Um, there are 26 regions, there are 45 million people. Yeah. How do you know what's happening on the ground in the far remote parts of the country as far as health is concerned? How do you trust these reports are actually accurate? Trust is one thing, but how we do it is some, something else. Mm -hmm. But when I launched the primary health care development program, uh, I had seminars. Actually, I summoned all the district medical officers and their supporters. There are 600 of them we met in Arusha for a seminar for one week. And I requested the president to be, to chair, to open. Uh, you know, when the president speaks, they listen more than they do me. So he was there. They came. We had, so we actually knew what we were trying to do and we sent it over. I mean, they were the teachers of trainers of, of trainees. So when they go to their own place, they also conducted seminars. So in the end, we, we had um, a program which actually was owned by almost everyone. So we have a, a monitoring and evaluation system, which is now uh, computerized. And uh, we put, took on board 
what is the Epico administrative software? Yes, yes. Where actually, in my office in Dar es Salaam, you can press a button and you know about the drug supply in Sumbawanga, how, how they are doing. So we thank you know, uh, this type of system, but it, it, help, it helps us. But we, we also do have meetings periodically to get people voice their ideas, their concerns, and then we improve or make changes as necessary. I'm also aware that you have been quite accessible as minister. And, yeah. um, so you traveled and um, had your cell phone available to the public. So uh, you could definitely um, hear firsthand from uh, beneficiaries. Let's open it uh, to you for any comments and questions. Please <coughs> introduce yourself, uh, your name and department. And Hello, um, my name is Denise Safwaje. I'm in the um, MPH program here in health policy and management. I'm a fourth year medical student at the University of Michigan, so I'm just here for the year. And um, thank you so much for coming and giving your advice about just different things we could think about as we're progressing in our careers in terms of leadership. Um, I wanted to ask you specifically about um, within medicine, you mentioned that you did do some training outside of the country and then was able to come back and implement some of these changes. And um, I'm from Ghana. And um, I wanted to know um, how was that process of kind of going abroad, getting your training, and then coming back and kind of incorporating yourself into the system? I just wanted to get your insight and advice about how you were able to come back and lead change within that system after kind of being away from it. I mean, after training in different places, then I went back. Mm -hmm. Well, home is home. And uh, maybe the lucky thing was that I trained and worked before I came over here. Uh, we get problems with uh, young people coming to train here for the first time. And sometimes they come on vacation and they compare the problems they see at home and what is obtaining here. Shortages of this, shortages of that. As a district medical officer, an x-ray may break down for a whole month but people come with broken bones, I had to fix them. You know, now, this type of thing is what uh, discourages our young men and women to, to go back. But we, now in the foreign ministry, we have a diaspora uh, uh, department, and we are very serious about it. We would like to get incentives to get our people to come back. And they should know what is happening at home, how much we are trying. I know there's no way I can compare the salary I would be getting here. Uh, professor here may be getting about maybe 23 times as much as I'm getting at home. But I'm comfortable and, you know. So we like to link with them, you know, this diaspora thing. You know, we, we move from city to city, country to country, to tell them what is happening at home, how much progress we are doing, and what it means if they came back home. And some are coming back home. That's great. Thanks. <coughs> Other questions? Hi, uh, my name is Paul Mick. I'm an MPH candidate here. Um, my question relates to prior prioritization. Um, you mentioned that earlier. You face so many challenges uh, in terms of health care in your country. Um, how do you prioritize? For example, how did you decide to make um, putting a dispensary in every village uh, your, your priority? What sort of information do you take to make that uh, decision? Well, you take the information which is there. I may say that when I was appointed minister, our president went from ministry to ministry. He didn't summon us to the State House. He had a message to tell us, we as ministers. So when he came to my ministry, the first question he asked me was, where are you taking the ministry to? I thought that was a very unfair question because I had never led a ministry before. But he's my boss, I had to say something. So five years prior to my being minister, I was 
uh, a member of parliament. So I had to reflect back what are the health issues that need to be addressed. I know we people had to walk sometimes 10 kilometers to the nearest dispensary. Even if they went, that dispensary may be manned by just a nurse because we can't afford, the, there are no clinical officers and the medicines are in short supply, you know, chronically. So these are the types of things. So as I said, these things are all priorities. There's no way you can say <clears throat> priority number one is malaria. It's not like building roads where you can say, well, this road can wait until next year, until the budget of next year. So that's why I say priorities within priorities. There are strategies and plans which have to be, <clears throat> have to go hand in hand with, with others, but some of them, you know, may be given less money this year just because of the situation on the ground. So we make priorities according to what actually is dictating, what are the concerns, what are the needs, and what you want to achieve. And you try to get as fewer priorities as possible, because otherwise, if you have 10 priorities, that's not a priority list. At the end of the day, I mean, you, you won't see any impact in the budgetary allocation that you have given. That's helpful. Um, could I ask you, <coughs> you went into politics uh, at some point. Um, if you could tell us how that happened. Uh, politics is not a very nice word in uh, many countries. Uh, it's associated with bureaucracy and inefficiency and perhaps corruption. Um, how did it happen and what advice do you have for our students who might be considering going down that line? Yeah, when I decided to go into politics, I was a director at that time in Muhimbiri. And a few months back, I went to my village. And a couple of elders came to my home and asked if I could become their member of parliament. I said, me? I was surprised. Actually, of all the people who were surprised to see me going to politics, I'm number one. I never expected to be a politician. And actually, I remember it was January. And uh, come May, I was supposed to have made up my mind and uh, started the, the process, because you have got to go through your party and then the general election. Um, by April, I told my wife, I told my friends, that no, I'm not going into this. And they said, the process comes next month. And uh, if those people wanted you to become their member of parliament, you should have told them earlier. We have kept quiet all this time. There is no time they can look for someone else. So I said, well, why don't I try? After all, I won't make it because people didn't know me. I was incarcerated in Muhimbili doing, you know, all sorts of things without going back to my home village. But when I tried, unfortunately, I won. <laughs> but this was after considering other issues because uh, I had, you know, these were my people who brought me up, they trained me and to, to that level. I was working in a consultant hospital, so I did not have much access to treat them. And uh, so I told myself, these are the people who got me to where I am. And uh, I've trained so many doctors. Unfortunately, when you look at the list of the trainees coming to the medical school, people from my area were very few, if any. So I said, why don't I go back and try to see what can be done? Actually, in my district, there are two constituencies on the east uh, there is a colleague called Professor Mandos. He's an engineer. So on the same day, we decided to go. And when we went through the election, we, were, we made history that two professors from one district did it happen. So that, that was it. And actually, I don't regret. As you said, politics is not 
a very good word. They say po po politics is a dirty game. When I was leaving Mohimbili, I sent notices on the notice board to tell them I'm leaving. I thank them for their assistance and working with me. And people came to my office and someone told me, you, you're going into politics? The way we know you, are you going to, to learn how to tell lies? Mm -hmm. But uh, I don't believe that politics is a dirty game. But I know there are politicians who are dirty. I know there are doctors who are dirty. I know there are lawyers who are dirty. So in every field, there are dirty people. There's nowhere where you, you are taught to become dirty because, just because you can be a politician. You may have heard people say, doctors write very badly. Their handwriting is illegible. The first thing they learned when they go to medical school <clears throat> is to write badly. But that's not true. It's not true. I know some doctors whose handwriting is very good, like mine. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, even for politicians, I told them I'm going to be a politician of a different kind. And I think I'm a politician of a different kind. So do you enjoy being member of parliament? Um, mind you, I, I heard uh, that Rungwe district, your constituency now has internet. Yeah. So they will watch you and hear what you say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I enjoy doing something which gives me challenges. And to find myself a politician, something I never th thought of, something you never go to school someplace to become one, to me is a challenge I want to, to meet head on. So you ask if I enjoy. I enjoy because there are many challenges. And in your introductory remark, uh, we have standing committees in parliament. I mean, we, we have them here in the Senate, you know. We have one, in one chamber at home, you know, the Senate and the Congress and the House. And when I was requested by my colleagues to be chair of agriculture, and livestock and water. You know, in the distance, water is connected to health, something which I knew. But the others, you know, I, I was blank. But I'm enjoying heading that uh, committee because there's so many challenges, and 80% of our people depend on agriculture actually for their livelihood. So it's challenges, challenges. I, I don't want easy stuff. That's great. Mm. Yes, ma'am. Hello, thank you. My name is Mary Sando, and I'm here in the MPH program in the Department of Global Health and Population. Um, thank you, Professor Mwakusa. I just have two questions. One is regarding the budget. Um, regarding? I, I would like to commend you for budget. really um, pushing it very hard yeah. to enable it to move from 5 to 12.5. But then um, what could be some of the reasons why it would go down to 10? And what can we do to sustain it uh, in, in, in a more positive direction in the future? Okay. But also with regards to staffing, healthcare staffing at only 30%, um, what would you think would be among the major steps to take as a country going forward that we can also see a positive increase in that as well. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, first of all, about budget sustainability. Well, the government cake is small, so you don't expect a lot. And uh, how do we make, and unfortunately you find more than 40, about 40 or just less percent is donor funded. Uh, I said it was unfortunate because we, I don't like to see myself begging all the time. We, we're not proud of begging. So in the short term, I, I wouldn't mind people coming to help me out. So to sustain it actually, First of all, is to maximize our potential, our own. Having a big budget 
should not should not necessarily mean that you know bigger budget more output so the amount of money you have actually you there's an incoming and then out it means somewhere here you have to be sure that the money is spent uh, the way it should we say we need more money for health but we need more health for that money so in the end of the day you may find that uh, you increase the budget but the output is not actually going exponentially so that is one thing we are really trying to do and when i was there i started a project called money well spent project we started with family planning uh, tools medicines and so on and so forth to try to track family planning money and tools from the source right up to the final recipient so when that, that actually it it showed us a lot of ways where leakages happen and what we could do better so what i'm saying is that we would like to sustain the budget with our own money for whatever activities that we set out to do we had a budget line uh, that is I wouldn't like to say this is a uh, this program of immunization. The uh, I think it was the Danish who are helping us. Then you go to sleep without putting any money. The moment they walk out, you you're in trouble. So for every activity, you have to have a budget line for that. Now regarding the human workforce, the health workforce. We are at 38%, which is very low. There's a problem of input. There was a problem of enrolling them. There was a problem also of retaining them. And some of our people have left the country. So this emigration and migration is both internal and external. From the from the districts to the towns, actually, I have about 50% of my doctors in Dar es Salaam alone. You know, it's that that bad. But also, some of them walking across the borders. The borders are porous these days, and people just walk out as and when they wish. So, you know, that is another another thing we can talk later. But what we are trying to do, we have increased enrollment, uh, actually more than 300%. We have looked at our syllabi. We wondered if, should it take four years to train a nurse who is going to work in the village? So we looked at the syllabi and tried to, uh, to put you know, different stages. So there's someone who's going to work in a village doesn't need so many skills. If you have uh, transportation and referral system which is working. But we are also looking at incentives to incentivize people to come back to the country, but also to work in the villages. And we have our past president, President Mkapa, he has started uh, a foundation which is working very well. Actually, that model is working and we are getting into as, uh, as the way things should be done nationally. And it's very few incentives, just uh, not necessarily monetary incentives, just to make sure they have a house, make sure there is solar electricity because the grid electricity can't reach there. There are these things which make their life, you know, easier and if you talk nice to your colleague who is in charge of roads then if there is a road getting there you know they they won't see any reason why they should go to to to, to come and work in town and for you people who are out of the country i exhort you to come back it's a difficult problem we have discussed with it in the who you know, at one point, actually, I found myself on uh, in Davos. We were discussing, and they wanted to convince me that uh, health workforce migration 
is brain circulation rather than brain drain. I didn't agree with that. I mean, for a physician walking across from Canada to come and work here, you know that someone would come from here to go to Saskatchewan and, and work. The conditions are much the same. They just want to change, you know. But for my country is a net supplier. I have a lot of doctors in this country, but you don't find Americans coming to my country. Is that brain circulation? To me, that is a drain. So we are talking uh, WHO together uh, to try to see how we can address it. It's not something, you know, because there are pull factors and push factors. There are things which push them out of the country. We are responsible. We have to look at it. But the pull factors, I can't pay my doctor like he's paid outside the country. So we have to address this problem. It means if they get a job here, there is a need, there is a vacancy. So they themselves should try to train more. But also, because I spend so much money tra training them in, in Dar es Salaam, they should help me financially and otherwise. Well, you have put in a system to attract people back and, and encourage and incentivize retention. Yes. So, um, <coughs> other questions? Hi, thank you so much for speaking with us. My name is Natalie. I'm in the Global Health Department. I'm a Master of Science. My question is back to the budget, and if you could just speak to us a little bit more about the political process and how you were able to get such a huge jump in the budget, because like you said, it's a small pie. So where did that come from, and how do you go about such a process like that and working with your colleagues? Thank you. First of all, the jump was not a one-day one thing that maybe to, today I'm at 5%, tomorrow I'm at 10 No, it was a gradual process uh, well, until we reached there. But what we did was, you know, I, I was telling my students yesterday that the, we had some activity, and I told them about Jeff, Jeff Sachs, Jeffrey Sachs, who came to my office one day, and he's passionate about uh, bed nets. He thinks if we use bed nets, we can extinguish malaria. And he said, you as minister, what would it mean if tomorrow you issued a decree to tell people that I want all Tanzanians, by tomorrow they should sleep under a bed net? I told them, I can't. He said, why? I said, because I have a policy to follow, and it doesn't say that. What does it take to change a policy? So we say we, we change them, and looking at other circumstances, suppose the policy allows you to, I said, still I can't. Why? Because I don't have the logistics. Getting uh, these bed days here in Dar es Salaam do, does not mean that it reaches the people out there. So it says, suppose you have the logistics. I said, I can't. Why? Because I don't have money. And he told me not to speak about money because money is played in the world. All you get to do is to make a case. So that, that opened me up, actually. So what we need to do and what we did was to come up with the programs and convince other people. Because this cake of the total budget is under everybody in other ministry. If you just go and say, uh, Mr. President, I have very little money. Can you give me some more? He will ask you, you want me to make a cut in which ministry? We are all sitting there. So money is not there. So if you come up with solid programs, and everybody sees that this is actually a priority and it is workable, you probably will get more money. Talking about aid, um, you mentioned about 40% of the budget comes from uh, bilateral, multilateral uh, institutions. 
Uh, in many times, countries find it difficult to accept the conditions that uh, donors uh, impose, and, and some countries find it's really they have no other option. But uh, you have been quite successful in sort of accepting that aid and making the best out of it while still being in control of your own ministry and your own programs. What leadership skills are needed in that context? Uh, I don't know. They, they could be personal. You, you may want to know what we are doing. Uh, for, first, we, we have what is called a joint assistance strategy. It's a strategy which we put together with our other financiers. So they know us and we know them. And what we would like them to know about us is that uh, we know where we are, we know where we want to go, and uh, this is the finances which we have. And then let us talk about the budget gap. We don't encourage someone coming and say, he's so sympathetic with us and wants to help us out, say, to look after trachoma and so on and so forth. If it is not within our roadmap, then we would like to convince him otherwise. We would like them to swim along with us in the same river rather than having separate programs. So they know about us. And as you say, some put conditions which may be difficult for us. I may say that uh, UK have not implemented uh, some threat which they said, you know, homosexuality at home is something we don't want to hear. You get me? So the Prime Minister of Britain at the Commonwealth meeting said homosexuality. I mean, who you love or who you marry should not be the concern of someone. This is a, a basic right. And he went on to say, for those who won't toe the line, we may consider uh, taking off our assistance. And we voiced this, this we, we are poor. But for that, we will be proud. You can take your assistance. So it is things like that. There are areas where we cannot bend our principles. We have our own values. So I don't know if I came closer to what you wanted that's, me to say. That's helpful. Could I ask you uh, one last uh, comment? At the school, um, about 60% of our students are women. And these are the future leaders in public health. Um, in Tanzania um, and in Africa in general, uh, if you could comment on leadership and gender equity. Um, Tanzania seems to be doing very well by my sort of observation. Uh, the head of the medical school at Muhimbili is a woman recently. The head of the hospital following you is a woman. The head of the National Institute of Medical Research, Speaker of Parliament, uh, several um, members of parliament. Do you think you have solved that problem in Tanzania, or is there still a long way to go? And what would you do? We have a long way to go. And uh, I'm happily surprised that uh, a lot of the students are actually women. Even people who are working in offices are women. Mm -hmm. And when I get on the bus from Cambridge every morning, actually there may be only two men. I'm, I'm the one man, no <laughs> doubt. And I, wonder what is happening. When I go to my office on the 10th floor, I asked Betty if you have to be a woman to get a job there, because most of the people who work there are women. Yeah, one thing actually can be traced back to our traditions and so on and so forth. At home, a woman is someone who should stay at home, look after children, and you know, we are changing that would like them to be in leadership positions. And, uh, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't be happy to give someone a leadership position just because she's a woman. You have to empower them. You, can, you have to um, help them get the skills, competing skills. I wouldn't be happy if you and Betty Johnson went to, in a job 
you are better qualified, but because she's a woman, then she's given the job now. So we are looking at education. The enrollment rate in primary school, when they go to school, is actually 50-50. It's a class of 40, 40 women, 40, 40 boys, but the attrition rate then it becomes higher and higher. So what we are trying to do is actually to, to see that, first of all, to incentivize them and then create the right conditions for them to progress and be able to compete. And those you mentioned actually did just that. They were not given those jobs just because they are women. But we are getting there in parliament, uh, about 30 or some percent are women, uh, which is much more than Kenya. In Kenya, there are so few. One, one member of parliament was saying, you have so many women in parliament. We have about three, but just, they're so noisy. How do you get it? <laughs> you know, but uh, for women in parliament, I expect you not to be too noisy. But we, gender is mainstreamed. In whatever we want to do, you ask yourself, how does it impact on gender? So in all the plans, all the programs, you'll be asked in parliament or in the cabinet you're passing a paper, you'll ask about gender mainstreaming. Just like HIV, you have to be asked about HIV. This has been a fantastic session, a uh, very rich discussion. Um, uh, I know you have been really an inspiration to many people in Tanzania. And uh, thank you very much for sharing those lessons of leadership with our students. Um, we will certainly take them and uh, absorb them. And not only those who are here in the studio, but uh, many others who will be able to watch this recording uh, over time. Thank you. We wish you all the best when you go back to Tanzania as well. Thank you. Thanks Thank so you. This has been a production of Decision Making Voices from the Field at Harvard School of Public Health. You can find the complete video of the event at www.hsph.harvard.edu backslash translation. We encourage you to share decision-making voices from the field.